there's just so much opportunity out there to um, kind of rethink the traditional ways of doing things. Um, and I think this study is just one part of that equation. You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Hello and welcome to Sports Tech Feed. I'm your host, Thomas Loams. Great to have you joining us again this week. On today's show, we have Catherine Rowe, a data-driven sports strategist, conducting research and strategic consulting for a range of sports properties and brands. Catherine's an MBA graduate from the Macomb School of Business at the University of Texas at Austin. During her time at UT, she worked as a graduate research assistant for Professor Kirk Goldsbury, an NBA analyst for ESPN and noted leader in the world of sports analytics. The central focus of our discussion today is a research project Catherine undertook with Professor Goldsbury, trying to understand the makeup of the most valuable properties in sports, and by that I mean live game broadcasts, and to map out how these broadcasts vary across different sports. The results were featured on Nate Silver's 538 blog, a website I'm sure many of our data-focused listeners are familiar with. This statistical analysis we're discussing was aimed at improving the broadcast experience for sports fans and to find new opportunities to advertise without interruption. If you're interested in the future of sports media and broadcast and how technology is going to disrupt, enhance and grow this area, then I highly recommend you check out the Sports Tech Annual, a new research report available from the team at Sports Tech World Series. Simply go to sportstechworldseries.com forward slash annual for your free download. As I mentioned, I'm your host, Tom Salomes. I'll be back with some final thoughts at the end of the discussion. But for now, over to Catherine Rowe, sports industry strategist, talking all about broadcast analytics and really how long is a game of football? First of all, welcome to the show, Catherine. Great to have you on. We're going to dive straight into it. Can you share a little bit about the importance of understanding sports broadcast through this analysis and more broadly why this research project was undertaken? Yeah, so first, you know, where why is this important? I think when you look at um, sports broadcast rates, um, it's no secret that they're continuing to increase year over year. And um, as time goes on, you know, uh, leagues like the NFL have... Uh, diversified a bit using different networks and um, you have major tech players like Amazon and Apple and um, you know potentially and Facebook as well um, getting involved in the in the the mix there Um, and so it's a really big deal because as um, those revenue or as those rights fees go up um, broadcasters then have to uh, you know cover that with commercial breaks or advertising and so it's figuring out that balance between the two. And so I think it's always going to be an increasingly more important thing to talk about over time. Um, and how did it come to be for this study? So as you mentioned, um, I was in the University of Texas MBA program over the last two years, and we, um, I was the graduate assistant for Kirk Goldsberry, who's an NBA analyst for ESPN and also a professor at UT and teaches the sports analytics curriculum. Um, and so we were coming up with different projects for last semester and we had seen a few different people do you know uh, one sport at a time where they measure the gameplay and the action time and things like that um, but we really hadn't seen a consolidated um, study across several different sports and so when we took a look at how could we make this comparison um, in any ball sport specifically you're going to have uh, you know a time where the ball is actually in play or, or the puck um, and not in play. And then you also have commercial time. So we were able to break things out into that to make the comparison across um, multiple sports and really any sport that involves a ball or a puck. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, And and as you mentioned, the the importance of these broadcasters finding more um, ad revenue to justify the 
the, the amount of money that they're giving for these leads. Um, something we'll talk about a little bit later is, is in the context of uh, the attention economy and basically that younger generations of viewers aren't wanting to sit down and, and watch a whole game as much and if there's ad breaks it interrupts the flow and all that kind of stuff so we'll talk about that a little bit later but continuing on the theme of um the actual amount of gameplay so action what were the the main areas so you said there was action ball in play puck in play whatever there else that is what were the other areas that it was classified as yeah so <clears throat> um so for ball and puck and play that was defined as action uh some people might think action involves a lot more of the other stuff that invo- is involved in a sport, you know, like baseball, for instance, there's a lot that goes on between pitches. Um, but the easiest way for us to define and really the most logical way was to use action as ball and play, puck and play. And then we also had non-action time, which for each sport looked different. So for a sport like baseball, you would have like uh, time the pitcher has the ball in his hand um, or challenges or um, injury or something like that. You'd have for a sport like soccer, um, I broke it down into, you know, the ball is out at the goal line or the ball is out on the sideline. Um, and we were able to kind of come up with uh, different things like how long on average is a goal kick or how long on average does it take for a goal kick um, to happen, you know, between the ball going out and the ball, you know, going on the line and the, and the goalie kicking it. Um, so we were able to break down each sport into its own definition of non-action time which can create so many more insights, you know, for a sport like basketball, like free throw time, you know, how can you cut out free throw time or identify that there's a huge pause in the game? And I think if people watch the NBA finals, they're doing a lot more advertising during the free throw um, setup or in between free throws to monetize that time um, even more than before. Yeah, 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 definitely. And and sports like, uh, I mean, Major League Baseball, a lot of initiatives and a lot of uh, tech initiatives are around speeding up um, the rate of play and, and talking about uh, using technology, say, uh, with umpiring, for instance. It's like the ability to speed that up. Um, obviously, reviews in other sports, um, a big big one's been um, the re- review system uh, in football for offside. Uh, so actually being able to speed that up so you're not just sitting around there twiddling your thumbs um, or just going to a constant stream of ad breaks um, to, to break the play up. So uh, that probably preempts a little bit, but what, what were the findings of the um, research project between the uh, major sports that you, you analyzed? Yeah, so um, we found, so I think the hypothesis going in was that, you know, baseball was going to have the most time that, you know, from, from the, I guess, naked eye, the non-baseball uh, purist eye is going to be, you know, a lot of downtime, but we actually found that the NFL has a pretty similar amount of, mm-hmm. of downtime um, and also amount of time that the ball is actually in play. And really going back to that last point, it's like, yes, the there is a lot that you can watch in football or baseball that happens between the plays. But really at the end of the day, like we said, we were doing a comparison again about ball and puck and play. Um, so the NFL and the MLB um, the NFL had about 18 minutes of action time. Uh, baseball had about 22.5 minutes per game. And then you had a lot of non-action time. So over two hours of time between either plays, pitches, um, or anything like that. And then both had around 50 minutes of commercials um, per game. So at, you know when you think about that, you're extending a game, um, an enti- almost an entire hour of broadcast time to kind of like we went at the beginning, make back some of the revenues that are spent on 
or the dollars that are spent on um, these rights. And then uh, the NBA, NHL, and EPL kind of had um, pretty similar amount of time. Um, games are about, you know, an hour and a half to two and a half hours between the three of those. Um, but we were still able, like I said, to kind of identify some open time to advertise more. Um, for instance, with soccer, there's a really great, you know, middle area during halftime that there's a lot of advertising, but are there other areas where advertising could pop in and maybe be helpful um, to, like, you know, b- bump up the the rights fees for those? Yeah, so so it was in terms of the sports, so NFL and MLB being the most... Um, I guess the most dead time, the longest, and then EPL at the other end. Yep. Yeah. So it was... And, and uh, I'll note that we, we chose American sports, but the MLS had pretty much finished when we finalized. So, um, you know, that's definitely an area where the MLS, for instance, we could... You could use the same methodology to look at the MLS. Um, we just... The EPL was still going on at the time, and, and, and MLS wasn't, so... Um, yeah, I mean, also yeah. in terms of um, rights values, the the Premier League's um, probably much more on the on the level of the NFL if you're comparing that. Uh, I know that uh, the commissioner of the MLS um, has recently said that their rights deals that come up in 2022 um, are crucial for the growth of the of the league. So um, certainly something that they're looking at, and and actually there's a separate study as well, not not involved in this, but the MLS has more goals um, compared to the EPL. Uh, but generally, uh, comparing apples and apples, uh, you would expect it to have similar um, similar experience to EPL, then both being soccer, 90 minutes, um, extra time and all that. So out of this, is, is the aim to go where is... So action versus commercials versus dead time, and dead time in the sense of um, it's not... You're not going to a commercial, so you're not maximizing it in terms of revenue. It's not action, so it's not necessarily what the fans want to see. Is it finding ways to transfer some of that dead time uh, into commercial revenue? I think for some sports, by like putting, uh, by putting ads there. Yeah, so I think for some sports like soccer, there's probably some opportunity to do the split screen ads a little bit more, um, and I think those are becoming much more common. Um, even during soccer, I think this year I've seen some. So I don't know if it's a result of this study, but uh, I think people are onto this. Um, and then I think for for instance, you know that the NBA, NHL, if they wanted to, um, you know, potentially uh, shorten their games a little bit, and you know, you brought up the point about um, you know att- attention spans right now, or and I'm I'm sure in my generation too, we're a lot lower to watch, you know, a two to three hour game, you know, is there ways to shorten the game that slows it down or loses momentum in the, in the flow of the game? Because I think, you know, we've talked a lot about rights, but you think about the flow of, of, you know, basketball, for instance, um, there's, there's a definite change when there's a challenge. I mean, I went to a game last year in person and there was a challenge in the game at the end and it's just kind of sucks the life out of the, the arena. Um, but on the flip side, you know, it's, it also corrects a call potentially. So finding that balance between like our challenge is good for the game and you know, how much does it slow down the game? So I think that's where the study is really unique is cause you can see almost like a business case, but you can also see, you know, a flow of the game piece that, you know, you might not have known earlier, you know, cause a lot of times you think about soccer, you're like, Oh, the clock doesn't ever stop. Um, there's always something going on, but there's actually a lot of time that the, the ball is out of play. Um, I think we just don't notice it as much. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, in a different way to um, NFL, you know, special teams coming on, um, offense to defense, everything like that. Uh, that it's that it's part of it, and it, it's interesting. NFL as, as a sport um, has almost uh, turned the the advertising. Uh, into an art form itself or <laughs> part of the you think about the Super Bowl and, and people people that will that'll go watch the ads um, more than they'll watch the game uh, but it's certainly something as you mentioned that this upcoming generation Gen Z Millennials everyone coming through um, wanting highlights wanting to follow individual players rather than wanting to follow a team um, so if they're going to sit through a three hour broadcast uh, to watch their favourite player uh, and then there's only, you know, 20 minutes or, or or less than that of actual game time, and then their favourite player only has say a minute of that. Uh, it's going to be really hard to to convince those fans to stick around for the full experience. So w- was that your kind of recommendations from this? Was basically finding ways to to shorten the overall um, broadcast experience. I think you know, like kind of like I said, if. I think it's really like the data shows that there's kind of two solutions. There's the business one, which is, hey, there's there's a lot of opportunity to potentially advertise more in some of these other sports. Um, and I think, you know, when we think about the NFL, um, it's, it's interesting because the NFL owns Sundays, um, Monday nights. And, you know, it's, it's a, I guess, you know, appointment viewing for a lot of fans. So the NFL's viewership um, is typically pretty constant. I think this year is a little bit weird because of COVID and people having a lot of other stuff to manage on top of um, football going on. But, um, you know, the NFL's ratings are, have been, you know, far and above. I think there's a stat that like the top 10 uh, broadcasts from the last couple years have been all, you know, mostly football games. I think close to like 70 to 80% of the top events, you know, across all of entertainment. Um, so, you know, it's not going anywhere, but when you think about, you know, like you said to the next generation, is it, are they patient enough to watch a full football game? Um, you know, it's four hours long, uh, same with baseball. And I think, like you said before, you know, baseball's trying to figure out different ways to speed up the game a bit. And I think they're, they're doing a good job of that. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what they carry forward from this, this shortened season with some of the new rules around, you know, extra innings and things like that. <clears throat> um, and then when you think about like, uh, you know, go to the other side. So that was all kind of business. The other side is performance. And, you know, what is the effect on the flow of the game? And, and really like, you know, how does that flow of the game correlate to the business case on why this should be faster or shorter? Or, you know, maybe we should extend games or something like that. So I think there's like a lot of um, solutions that come from it. And that's what I really love about this study is what ended up getting published was a lot about you know, commercial breaks and things like that. But there's a lot of like data that's deeper than that. And that can be taken to um, expand on the study in a, in a different way of whether it's, should we shorten, you know, a, a basketball game or should we extend basketball games, um, things like that. Yeah, definitely. Do you think, uh, I know it's ongoing studies at, at UT. Do, do you think that, or what do you think the next series of focus should be for these studies and studies like it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I've, uh, you know, this came out of a discussion and some good ideas, and, and we basically took some, um, you know, all credit to people that have attempted this before. And 
what I think this study shows, and especially for someone like me, is that, you know, anyone can pick up a pen and paper or a Google sheet and, you know, do some research around something like this. Um, it's really what meets the eye and, and how can you track and record games. That's all it really took. Um, the methodology obviously took a lot more time and the tracking of the data, the collection of the data is the hardest part um, because it is a very time consuming activity to record, press pause and play. Um, I'm sure there's some automated solutions out there that we didn't have, but um, yeah, so I think, you know, the study can be taken in a lot of different ways. I'm pretty sure they're working on, you know, an updated one for for this next year um, in the new class that's at McCombs. And I can just see this continuing to be something that hopefully people will look at and find some insights from. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And um, hopefully it's, it's, it's tooling, tooling up the people that are making these decisions on what kind of game they want to see to find that balance between the broadcast deals as the life, lifeblood of many of these sports, but then also understanding that um, people are there to watch the game, not the ads. So how does that, how does that interact with the fan experience? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of, um, you know, what I think is this is part of the equation, right? Like at the end of the day, um, you know, you might you might need fifty minute of fifty minutes of commercials to make up for the fees you're paying. So I don't I don't blame um, some of these broadcasters, but I think there's a lot. You know, what we're seeing across sports, especially this year um, with the pandemic, is you have to be creative. Um, there's there's a lot of opportunity out there to kind of update and test new new opportunities i think that's what you know at the end of the day like what this podcast uh has going on with a lot of the conversations you have and and there's just so much opportunity out there to um kind of rethink the traditional ways of doing things um and i think this study is just one part of that equation yeah definitely and i think um i mean from my end of the conversations that i've been having uh lately with leagues and, and, and tournaments is um, finding ways for the fan engagement piece that is part of the broadcast uh, and things that have been innovative this year as part of um, the response to COVID, uh, which is you can't have fans in the stadiums or you have a limited amount of fans. And a big part of that, of the broadcast, is then cutting to, a, to images of, of fans celebrating and, and that sense of community that sports give. Uh, which is harder to do when everyone's socially distanced because it it does have a fairly uncanny, weird feel to it. So it's going uh, watch-along experiences, which the NBA did through Microsoft Teams. Um, uh, the NFL also, think I think they use Microsoft for their solution, but people at home celebrating um, and branding those. So giving that um, uh, some airtime for a sponsor. Um, the other one is the fan cam in the NFL, um, which was, a again, a... a COVID-19 innovation, uh, which they're looking at sticking around, but it was branded uh, with, I think, Bud Light. Um, So the players come up to a camera on the field, celebrate. That's beamed into um, watch parties in people's houses, and then the players can see the fans celebrating with them. So all that branded, um, not just your classic um, TBC, let's cut to someone driving a truck up a hill, um, (laughs) or ads for nappies or whatever else it is. Um, but it's, it's able to, to integrate that sponsor, um, and that, that brand partner, um, into the broadcast that way. Again, slightly different. Obviously you have the local broadcasters will have the people they sell their ad inventory to, but it's an example of creativity, 
um, and making it seamlessly part of the fan experience. So I think if the leagues can do it with their their brand partners, um, certainly the, the broadcasters can look to do that um, with their their partners as well. Yeah, I mean, I think when you when you put it all together, I mean, the number of fans, even when, you know, things were quote unquote normal and people could go to stadiums, I mean, the number of fans that can go to a stadium versus can be digitally accessed is huge. Um, and so, you know, I think what we're seeing across uh, different leagues and teams is how do you get fans involved from home? Um, but you can always do that and you don't have to give that up after this year. Um, there's just so much opportunity out there to kind of, you know, unlock new fan experiences or monetize new people that maybe will never be able to go to a game, but can, um, you know, because of location or, or some other reason, but they still are huge fans of your team. And so I think what we're seeing is this new opportunity, like you said, with the fan cam or, um, you know, a lot of new uh, apps and, and technology out there to get fans to cheer or wave or clap or whatever, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity and, and that's where, um, you know, this study can kind of unlock, hey, exactly when can you do that? Um, what's the best time for that? Um, is it when the goalie is kicking a goal kick or is it when a throw ins happening or something like that? So, um, you know, I think that really goes back to kind of your point there at the end. Yeah, definitely. It's um, understanding understanding what you can sell. I guess it is the, uh, the large part. Is any business knows you you understand what your inventory is, and then um, that's what you predict your sales are going to be. So uh, it's actually looking at creatively. Well, where can you fit that in? So a bit of a tightrope. Um, uh, I think both of us have thoughts on it. No one's necessarily got the answer about how you balance between the two, and it's a it's certainly a wicked problem. Um, you see something like AFL, my sport, I talk about it all the time. Um, and I understand you studied in, in, in Melbourne as well, um, at the University of Melbourne as part of your MBA. So you, you understand AFL. Uh, one thing that they're struggling with, for instance, is uh, it's been some of the lowest scoring games on record. No goals means no opportunity to cut to a commercial break. Uh, and then, again, that, that interrupts what they can do with ad, ad revenue um, and so the league is trying to find ways that you can score more goals essentially to do that and saying it's well that's that's how you you get it more to be more exciting so as i mentioned earlier the mls um has more goals than the premier league uh by a small statistical margin uh but again i think that's something you're going to see is how do you get more action um how do you get more action how do you how do you make that pie bigger in terms of the actual action there um but to make it more engaging, but at the same time, action also means you get a chance to go to an ad. So after, after a goal, after a touchdown, after a score, whatever else that is, it's engaging, it's exciting for the fans, but then it's a win-win for everyone because it's also an opportunity to um, sell that traditional ad revenue. So again, that's my kind of two cents looking into the crystal ball, um, something that I think you're going to see leagues around the world being much more intentional uh, about doing. Yeah, actually, you know, bringing up the AFL, I did like a quarter of the AFL compared to a quarter of the NFL. Um, I don't have the numbers on me right now, but really interesting in just like how much is the ball, you know, not that the footballs are the same, I guess, uh, to to make that plural, but um, there, you know, there's definitely some interesting components. And I think, um, you know, one thing that I like to do in studies like this or across the board is 
you know, look across all the different sports in the, in the, in the world. And like you said, getting to study in Melbourne, I got, you know, the full effect of the AFL and what, what, you know, that looks like. And, and it helped me kind of see, okay, what can, what can American football take from the AFL and what can the AFL take from American football? Um, I think people inside, you know, those organizations are probably looking across, you know, different sports and finding new ideas and things like that. You know, I guess work smarter, not harder. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, you know, something that I kind of think about with this is that I was able to pick up what I, what I did for American football or, or, you know, another sport and apply it pretty much right away with a few, uh, I guess, learnings on the rules for AFL to then apply it directly into how does this work in a different sport? And so I think, you know, when you find solutions like this that can actually apply across the board, it's really interesting and can come up with like really good insights. Yeah, 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 definitely. And, and, and it's not unique. These challenges that all these um, leagues are facing, it doesn't matter where you are in the world, um, they're all facing uh, similar mega trends uh, around generational shifts, um, consumption habits are changing, the access to content, um, you know, streaming services, everything that's out there, um, social media. Uh, that's that's things that sports leagues are all facing. They're all facing the same challenge, and, and how do they weather that and survive that? Obviously, the NFL uh, is in kind of pole position to keep pushing forwards and. Um, as compared to say a, a younger league like MLS, um, but they're all yeah they're all asking the same question uh, of their partners, of the broadcasters, of their fans. Uh, so it's interesting to see studies across all all of them like this that kind of give uh, a bit of an answer of what they can be doing. So that's um that's been a really great discussion. I can um I can share the uh, five thirty eight article um which will give a bit of a, a primer to the uh to the study. Uh, we'll share that on the show notes. Um, also I'll try and find that uh, report I saw about the MLS um, goals and, and stats. That's buried somewhere deep on the internet. So I'll try and dig that up. Uh, and before we go, just wanted to ask you one final question. We ask all our guests: What is your favorite sporting moment of all time? Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like I should have been more prepared for this. Um, so I think, uh, you know, a plug for, for women's sports. Um, and I think for most, uh, uh, women who like sports or watch sports and probably for others too. Um, you know, I think one of my favorite sports memories was like in 1999 in the, the U S women's, uh, national team world cup. Um, but bef- even before that, um, I remember the 1998 women's hockey team, winning the gold at, um, the, the Nagano Olympics. Um, and I was living in Georgia at the time. And I remember rollerblading around my back, uh, street, like acting like I was, you know, one of the, the hockey players on, on rollerblades. So, and that's ice hockey, I think for, for any of your, uh, international, um, listeners, but yeah, so I, I, uh, I think between those two, two, um, big events or it's, you know, it's tough for me to choose, but, um, I think what it really, you know, I, I think it's been written about a lot, but those events set the tone for, for my generation to come through and feel like we should be leaders in sport. Um, and we should, you know, go play sports and, and things like that. And so, um, it really, I think boils down to those two. Yeah. Fantastic. We'll, we'll include, um, some links to those two, some footage of that. Um, yeah, I mean, women's sport, especially the U S and, and you mentioned the U S women's national team. Um, they're absolutely, absolutely crushing it at the moment. So uh, it'd be interesting to see how that, that continues to grow and, and the next generation that's coming out of the, 
the uh, the twenty nineteen victory and you know, I saw a stat yesterday which um, blew me away and I was I was really excited to see that it was uh, Nike's Nike's highest selling jersey of twenty nineteen was the US women's national team um, and outsold the men's team and then, and then behind the Mexican soccer jersey it was the second highest soccer jersey um, selling uh, in twenty nineteen so. Yeah, no. as you as you've done in, in plenty of studies, follow the money, um, and that that indicates that it's it's going from strength to strength. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and you know, one last plug, I guess, is the uh, the WNBA. The stats came out, and some of the stats around um, the increase in viewership this summer when most sports declined, um, you know, is really impressive. And and so I think to your point, you know, uh, there's a a trend going on. And I think the more that, um, you know, it gets talked about and written about the more, you know, people are going to see that there's a lot of opportunity in women's sports specifically, um, even with stuff like this that we talked about. So, um, you know, just props to the women's leagues this summer for, for what they've pulled off. I think it's really impressive and, um, set the tone for a lot of other sports. Yeah, totally agree with that. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time, Catherine. Uh, it was great to chat to you about this. Uh, looking forward to kind of seeing the, the updated study as it, as it progresses uh, year after year. And I'm sure we'll be chatting again soon um, on this or something else. So thanks for being on the show. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. There you have it. That was Catherine Rowe, data-driven sports strategist. Uh, some really interesting stuff that Catherine's worked on. Uh, she's also got an email that you can subscribe to. I'll include her personal website and some info there. She she shares some really interesting things happening in the in the sports industry, working on a, a few different areas across there. And a fascinating topic. I mean, a real wicked problem. How do you add value to fans with with the ability to to give them the action, give them what they pay to see, what they are excited to see, but then also keep the people that are keeping the lights on so to speak keep them happy which is providing adverts brand engagement through that and I, I think we talked about it there I mean one of the first steps in there is is understanding maybe not the problem but understanding what the area you're working in looks like understanding the lay of the land and then I think really the next few steps beyond that is is talking beyond just eyeballs on ads or just tv ratings in that sense of how many minutes you you're exposing your brand to someone is talking about brand engagement. That's a that's a whole other question and, and and certainly something that um, is a lot more complex than this. But this is really valuable research and insights to be able to get to that point that you can have intelligent conversations about that. So great that Catherine uh, and of course Kurt Goldsbury, uh, Professor Kurt Goldsbury at UT, who's working uh, on a lot of these areas. Also want to have a special shout out for UT and for the role of universities in a lot of this research work. So um, we work closely with a range of universities around the world. I'm guest lecturing at Loughborough University London uh, coming up next week and, and really the power that universities have to take a step back and look at these problems in the sports industry and go, how can we apply data analytics uh, and creativity you know, some young minds that you've got in terms of students that are looking for, for different ways to do things, how can you apply that to the problems that they've got? So anyone working within the industry, if you do have a problem, reach out to universities. There's so many, so many good unis out there, so many good educational institutions that are working on these problems 
have students that are looking for experience, looking for jobs at the end of the day, uh, and the ability to give them some real-world experience solving problems uh, is absolutely invaluable. So if you don't know where to start on that, feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to connect you wherever you are in the world with some fantastic students uh, and universities or on the other side um, with some fantastic sports properties that are that are looking to grow in this area. As always, I'm your host, Thomas Loam. It's been great to have you join us this week and can't wait to see you again next week. Yeah.